0: I'm April Willis, and you're listening to the Unbound Outdoors Collective, the podcast where us ladies get to chat unapologetically about hunting, fishing, all things outdoors, and our experiences within. On this episode of the Unbound Outdoors podcast, I'm chatting with Barrett Marley a young lady from Manitoba who headed out West to chase a unique job on a commercial fishing vessel out on the waters of the Pacific Ocean. Today, she's teaching me a few things about the industry and giving us ladies some wonderful words of wisdom. So thank you for joining me, Barrett. Uh, For those who don't know you, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and the interesting job that you found yourself in, in the recent past?
1: Uh, yeah, well, uh, first off, thank you, April, for having a chat with me. I'm sure you've known me for a few years now, so you know that I love the chat. So this is fantastic. Um, but for people who don't know me, I, I've known April for, I don't know, I would say about like seven years now. So in those seven years, I've had some wide variety of jobs, but the job we're going to talk about today Um, was offshore fishing in the Pacific Ocean for albacore tuna so that's what we'll talk about today but it was an interesting job especially when you're not from the
0: coast and you're just
1: a Manitoba girl and don't know anything so it was interesting
0: (laughs) and you don't know anything about that (laughs) yep nope um Barry you're not like you're not new to the outdoors in any way like you're quite outdoorsy you do a lot of stuff outside you do a lot of hiking you've been into hunting and all that kind of and all that kind of stuff right
1: Uh yeah I like to I like to uh what's the best word that I could think of experiment with things dabble <laughs> you know and yeah you know you know just as much as I do that the only way to learn is to you know get out there and and do it and exactly. and you make Stakes and learn from those, and then keep going. But yeah, my first—I think the first year I met you was the first year that I got a turkey. So I've definitely oh, really? done some. different Yeah, yeah, that was my first year, but I didn't get it till the the fall.
0: Oh, so, and that's the that's the hard season.
1: Yeah, I was lucky because I knew I knew Melissa, right? The turkey girl. So we right. all kind of. <laughs> if it wasn't for her, I, I don't think I would have ever got my first turkey. But yeah, no, I love the outdoors. It's one of those things that if you um well you know it's like therapy
0: right mm-hmm. get out there and do something. have fun doing it that's right okay Barrett I'll, gra- I'll get you into a couple questions here I know you're on your lunch break so I'll try not to keep you too too long <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I um, looked at my super-
1: gave me the okay
0: so it's all good <laughs> oh good okay um so I guess the first question I'll ask you is what like what made you even want to head out west and work on a fishing boat how did you even find that
1: Uh, well, um, that, yeah, well, that's kind of interesting because it was almost the only industry that I could think of that was not affected at the time by COVID because, um, you know, working outfitters and at the time I was working up in Yellowknife, uh, with a fishing outfitter and everything just got shut right down. Like there was, there was no work anymore for, for something that I had worked in And um, I figured, you know, why not try something different? And I went to the coast for a trip anyway. I had a friend who uh, lived down there. So I went there for a trip Um, and I walked the docks and kind of just started asking people for jobs. And the very first day. I learned very quickly that the superstition of women on boats is exists very much. No. <laughs> it, I thought that that was a tale, but no, nope, that is absolutely true. There's lots of captains and skippers that will say no, um, just based on that superstition alone. I don't know where that came from. I would love to do some research on that, but, um, but that I, I got no from probably about six different people before before I finally got a yes. And the, the biggest thing, I guess, when it comes to, um, people in that industry and finding workers is that it's, you don't get a cell phone out there. You don't, you know, you don't get, um, Netflix, you don't get a shower, you don't get, uh, you know, sometimes you're working for 30 hours straight. You don't get the best sleep sometimes. And it's, it's very hard kind of thing to advertise as a job posting to be like hey come work in the middle of the ocean you know so I got really lucky because the family that I hooked up with was a family of women fishermen so uh, (sighs) the grandma actually ran a salmon trawler by herself and was very well known in the industry because she had the kids in mangers and was like you know they didn't have pilots on the boats back then so she was steering the boat and fishing and taking care of her kids by herself on a 50 something foot long boat for oh my like gosh. years. So yeah, yeah, I got really lucky and and got hired, so I just <laughs> went out there and did it. I don't I don't know, it was definitely quite uh quite hard to get the job, but once I got it, I got it.
0: So right, once you got it, you were in there. How how many years did you work out there? Was it two seasons or three? It was two seasons. Two seasons. Two seasons. So what made you go back? Like you had your How did how did your first season go? Uh, well, another, I guess I,
1: you know, I can kind of tag this in here too, but another reason why I wanted to do a job in that hmm, industry as well, is I was having some struggles, like with some, with mental health, when it comes to being in the industry, I would take things rather personally, you know, bad comments on Instagram, let's say, or from people to my face, especially working in a male dominated industry and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, to figure out how to get over that and i'll without getting too far into it commercial fishing on the ocean you get over taking things personally very quickly Mm -hmm. and um, so as easy as i can put season was learning how to just
0: get yelled at and
1: (laughs) make mistakes do it right the next time because when you're out there um you know a mistake can be a very big one Um, and so sometimes you gotta make sure that you're paying attention. Uh, and out there, I'm I'm very used to, you know, being like, hey boss, show me how to do this, right? And then they show me, it and then I do it. Well, out there, it's you watch what they're doing, and then you do it. And then if you don't do it right, you know, you'll you can get in trouble. So it was a very different. Um, I don't even know really the word I'm looking for, but it was a very different dynamic of of work environment. It was it was just like you. You put your head down, you do your work. And then when you get back to land, it's almost like, what just happened? Like, it's like, did I just work for three and a half weeks in the middle of the ocean? Like what happened? And it's, it was very, um, it was, it was difficult, but it was at the same time, it's like, you're working with men who have lived this lifestyle out there for their whole entire lives. And it's a very different lifestyle. I'm coming from Manitoba, having no clue what I'm doing. I don't even know how to tie a knot, you know? And it's, you, you, you just get used to it. But, um, the, the isolation was the hardest thing to get used to. Um, and, but it was fun, man. I, I have never, I've never worked in a job. I think so fun. It was, it was a lot of fun.
0: So you really had to like being on a boat with a crew of guys for weeks on end you really have to like either have really, really great communication skills or like just be comfortable, not like knowing that you guys aren't always going to get along or you might not always jive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, you have, you, it, it was difficult because I started actually working on, um, a fishing boat. Her name is Velma sea and she was built in 1928. She fished for halibut on the Bering sea. She has her original ribs still. Um, So I, I was actually floating on a piece of history. Uh, and, but since the boat was so small, it was 56 feet long. Um, my skipper had only hired me. So I was actually the only deckhand on that boat. Um, and then my second season, I ended up uh, being a deck boss on a boat for black cod, which I ran a crew of six. So I was actually the deck boss and ran a crew of six guys and some of them older than me, some of them younger than me. And that was a very different dynamic as well. So yeah, you kind of have to be either really bad at communication or just really good at communication. And even if you're really good at communication, it doesn't really matter.
0: You know? It's, oh. <laughs> <They're> just, <laughs> yeah, that's that's just how yeah. So what did you did you get your second year job before you left your first year? Or how did you like how did you go about that and and why did you go back?
1: Well, if you play your cards right, you can fish all year. It's just different fisheries. So you know, like tuna, tuna is definitely the gravy out of the out of the the other fisheries because you catch your fish, you bleed it, and you put it in the freezer. And you know, with other fishing industries like halibut, for example, or black cod, you're processing the fish, and you know, and you're doing other things. So there's definitely a lot more different work for different boats that require different amounts of crew members. And so when I finished tuna i was asked to go fish on uh, in other industries which actually put you in different times of the year um and so if you if you really want to you could fish all year just different uh, different fisheries so well, it was did uh, i just
0: i did black clod halibut and tuna and so how Alibacore, long tuna. was that in in total because you're you had said the tuna or the first one was like you could be out there for three weeks so was it like yeah. three weeks and then you come back onto land for a day or two and then you go back out? What was your like total span of fishing time?
1: My total span of fishing time was 40 days straight and then came back on land for six hours and then went back out for four and a half weeks. Oh and gosh. that was my <laughs> quickest turnaround. Uh tuna, it was my quickest turnaround. Like you, you for tuna, the boat I was on was a wood boat. And like I said, built very, very like early 1928 so I couldn't battle as much weather as other boats could and my my captain was very um, good at at you know not kind of making silly decisions when it came to the weather and so we would have to turn around and run in sometimes just based on what the weather had said and but when I was out on those other boats they they can handle a lot more weather so we wouldn't come in as often so
0: right so now, you you've kind of already mentioned like the mental health kind of side of it, but, you know, coming into a difficult or like a new job that you've never been in before, you've never like, you don't know any of these people. Did you ever have any like really hard days or times when you wished that things were maybe easier or that you hadn't chosen to go out there? Every day. <laughs> like <laughs> if I'm being, yeah.
1: I know people are listening to what I'm saying I, every day. There was a, it was. You know, well, one, I, I, I turned 30 out there, uh, and I was, you know, it was just meet myself and my skipper and, um, we catch 300 and something fish that day. So that was nice, but it was, you almost get hit with a, with a bus and you realize, holy moly, I'm floating on this piece of wood, um, 180 miles out in the middle of the ocean. And if I want to go home or if I want to talk to someone I can't do that and it's and when you you're faced with that reality of of, of those things for a second you kind of get you know holy holy crap like this is this is a re, this is real you know and it and it definitely was not easy and I had questioned that every day but I also had to learn um how to be able to to come back from thinking or spiraling down into negative thoughts, which is another reason why I'm, well, something I've been working towards for a number of years is because I, sometimes my mental health would get affected and it would hit me, but it's just like, Hey Barrett, you know, life is still sitting in front of you and you've got to, you got to come back. You got to come back from it. And it taught me how to do that. It taught me how to do that really well because you don't have the choice. You you can't, you can't go, go back. Like (laughs) there's, (laughs) if you did, it's, it's about a 28 hour run to get back. So, I mean, you have to tough it out for another 28 hours. So,
0: right. But And if it's just you and, and him, like if you quit, you, I guess in the, like the hardest way to say this is you let both him and yourself down. Like neither of you, neither of you make it through. Neither of you get the payout in the end. Like that's it. Yep. Yep. That's,
1: that's it. So it's, and he can find, like other people i'm sure but no it would uh if someone here let's put it this way if someone quit on the middle of the ocean your choice is you call the coast guard to come pick you up or you wait and but the deal is, is you get paid anymore right so like the, the skipper would do the work and he would fill the freezer but you just sit out floating on that boat you know and don't get any money out of it or don't get nothing and the coast guard's not going to come pick you up because you quit right so so it's it's i've actually heard on the radio someone quit on a boat and call the coast guard to ask, to come pick them up. And, and, you know, so I could only imagine that it gets hard for some people out there. My very first season, there was a boat that actually sunk 40 miles from me. And I heard that call go over the radio at two o'clock in the morning. And when you realize that, you know, you're in a very dangerous, one of the most dangerous professions in the world, you kind of get like, (laughs) what did I do? (laughs) <laughs> you know like, so done. Like, why? Like, so it's uh no it was I could talk about this subject for so long but as as easiest way to put it is is it was hard it was hard but it's doable mm-hmm. and if I heard this on your podcast before and if I can do it anyone can do it and it's just isolation was definitely the hardest thing so
0: okay so on the flip side of that so there's like there's lots of hard days and you have to like be really mentally strong but on the flip side do you have any like really special moments from being on the boat
1: Mm, yeah a lot a lot of them I think the the coolest moment I would have to say was um an orca stealing a tuna off of the line that I was holding in my hand I and (laughs) yeah, yeah it was it was honestly like the coolest thing but I think the funniest thing out of the whole trip was me pulling in a tuna fish by hand for the first time and I always used to think like oh you know I'm a strong person I got this (laughs) and I was like oh like trying to pull this fish in and this is like like albacore tuna run about a 15 to 20 pound average like they're not what you know I'll go with this go with it when people say to me whoa Barrett I watched Wicked Tuna you pull those by hand I'm like yep totally totally no albacore tuna are a lot smaller but still you know a 15 pound fish on the end of the line I thought for sure I got this no problem right no way it was captain thought it was the funniest thing he's ever seen in his life I couldn't even pull the thing up and over my head and then I dropped it on my toe and it was like it was it was hilarious so I think the funniest thing funniest story I have is trying to pull in a tuna fish by hand for the first time and Those things swim 80 kilometers an hour. So when they swim off to the side and you're trying to battle it, it's it's like, what?
0: (laughs) So do you normally pull them in by hand?
1: Yeah. So we got a boat, um, it's called a a trawler. So those boats with the big arms on the side, they have Mm -hmm. about seven, 15 lines fanned out into the back, all single lines. Some of them have a double hoochie on them, which, which a hoochie is like, they look like little, little squid kind of. And, um, they have a leader, which has different names of, of, um, things that they're like plastic things that kind of hit the water and they bounce with every wave, which, which triggers the tuna to look up. And when you find a school of tuna, which one of the jobs is to stand on the roof of the boats because you, they jump. So you can see them jumping from far away out there. And then you go over top of them and you could catch sometimes over 300 fish from one school just by going over top and then you turn around and come back. So every single fish that you pull in is, is by hand So Um, sometimes like our, our biggest day was 368 fish and that, that was all within an hour and a half. Um, and you just pull, 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 pull. And then my favorite part of my job was I spent six hours a day in a blast freezer minus 30 to 40 Celsius out there. So it was not pulling fish was fun, but my job was mainly stacking them in the freezer. So,
0: so how, like. How sore and how like physically done are you after a 300 fish day?
1: Uh, I could, I, I, I actually, I puked. I, <laughs> oh, I, no. I totally threw up because it was, I was, excited. and I was also having so much fun because when you're one fish is like a hundred bucks, right? So when you're pulling them in and when you get that mindset, like you're making money, mm-hmm. you know, cause there's catch two fish and those days are long you know and then so when you're fish it's it's on and it's like fish on and you start yelling and it's like such a fun time that I threw up because I was having so much fun but I um, but the first time I pulled fish on the first day I was out there my hands seized and I actually couldn't hold my coffee cup the next day (laughs) it was yeah, but you get over it.
0: <laughs> right. Your body gets used to it, or maybe your mind just gets used to it. And it's like, okay, you like resign yourself to the fact that this is how it's going to be until I can like physically do this.
1: Yep. And the most injuries you get are actually from, from trying to walk back and forth on the freaking boat out there. Like, it's like you go and you hit the, the table or you hit the cupboard or a drawer flies open because you forgot to put the, the pin in to hold the drawers and it oh, no. <laughs> hits you in the leg. You walk by or, you know, so the most the most injuries you get on the boat is just trying to go to the bathroom.
0: Yeah, like secondary damage. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh man. Um so I'm sure that there's gonna be a few people listening that maybe don't know much about the commercial fishing industry. And I, I'm not sure how in depth you, you know, you've researched or been told, but Can you possibly tell us maybe a bit about the conservation side of things, like maybe how quotas are created or how as a commercial fishing vessel, we can still be sustainable and good to, you know, our fishing and our nature?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Because once I got into the industry, I started looking into that a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons is on our way out uh, offshore for the first time, we passed a fish farm that was just outside of the island, and I not only could smell it from over a mile away, but we went up close to it. And seeing it with my own eyes made me think, "What is what is this? Like, what what is it?" I er, there was a layer of dead fish on top, and all it is is cages under the water um, that are holding these fish in there that are like packed to the nines of of fish now. There's no one in there inspecting if any of these fishes have diseases or I said fishes, <laughs> any of them have diseases, you know, or, or there's no protection based on their um, their feces or their poop. Right. And it's it's so that's all going into the ocean. And the, the, I I saw fish with big tumors on their head swimming around. And this is a this is a, a big fish farm. And not only that, the boats that go in there are. Multi-million-dollar machines that go in there, and all they are is a big vacuum that sucks them up into their boat, and then they just go and push it into some kind of storage unit out on the um, on the coast that that you know processes them, and then they put them in the store. So when you're looking at an operation that what I worked on, is it's the 17 lines in the back of the boat that are being pulled in by hand, and you're only catching tuna. Okay, so then if you look at any of these other saners or draggers. I like to call them ocean destroyers myself, but they're the ones that will just go and drag the bottom targeting one fish, but by catching 30 other species of fish, right? So if if I could have any power in this world, I would actually keep the small sustainable fishing operations like the albacore tuna, for example, um, or halibut with small quotas either way. Albacore tuna does not have a quota because the fish only come up at a certain time of year and go down and it's all based on the size of your freezer. So we had a freezer that could fit 30,000 pounds of fish. So we only would catch 30,000 pounds of fish, right? And bring it in and then go out again hoping we would catch that much. But that's a very small amount compared to people that can hold 400,000 pounds of fish on their boats, right? So it's it's the small sustainable fishing is what's keeping everything healthy, but I see these fish farms and I'm like, "What what is happening and and it's and i'm noticing throughout you know when i've done my research and looking into it i'm noticing that they're pushing the small sustainable fishing operations away and they're they're kind of targeting farms to be more you know let's put that more in the stores and i'll just tell everyone if it says farm don't buy it because you know you just if you think about it and you you would be someone who would think about that first too just like with harvesting an animal you know, harvesting a white tailed deer rather than buying mm-hmm. beef in the store. Like it's it's the same thing, you know, on the ocean.
0: Mm-hmm. So and now I've got a couple questions because nah, that's I, I don't know anything. Wild, wild. <laughs> um so how how does a boat like you said for example, <laughs> like for when you are when you're out there and you guys are fishing tuna, you're only fishing for tuna. So how does a boat like yours target only one species?
1: Yeah. So the tuna so tuna, like I said, they swim about 80, the, the 80 kilometers an hour, right? So they, when you are fishing for them, you have to be going a certain speed and you have to have a certain amount or a certain type of, of target, right? So like I said, the hoochies with squid, the leaders that hit the water. Um, and then if you're looking for a bit, you would have what's called a long line and that has, has uh, multiple hooks on one line that goes out for your boat, one side with the other side with their buoy and you check it pull up your line will probably not grab it The surface jumping around so you need something on the surface to target them so we would go to different uh each fish just like you know fishing for trout or for walleye or for bass they all have a different way of fishing for them and the only other thing we caught while we were out there is we did catch um a thresher shark by accident but he just went right back in um and then we also uh an albatross tried to eat our squid all the time like it was like what are you doing (laughs) not know that that's fake you know but we never caught an albatross they just kept trying to eat our our um hoochies all the time so but no it we just because based just because of the way that those fish are it was the only thing that we would catch we were everything else we were just going too fast for so
0: right that makes sense Okay. Now I have another question. So where you said that like your boat, for example, can hold a certain weight and then a bigger boat could hold another, a certain weight of whichever species they're after. So does the, does the Brit and we're in British Columbia, right? So does the BC government or conservation or something like that, do they do any kind of research that you're aware of to say, um, like maintain a certain amount of boats that are allowed to fish or if they don't have quotas. So then how do they, like, how do they make sure that we're not fishing too much of the fish out of the ocean? I mean, the ocean is super big, but how do they make sure yeah. that we're being good and sustainable?
1: Oh, that that's a great question. And, and I don't, I of course, don't know the concrete answer of it, which is based on what I saw when I was working in the industry is so we would sell um so when we come in we would pull up to um, an area where we would offload so there would be fish plants in those areas so i would offload in new culet or port hardy most of the time and we would offload all of our fish and it would go to a specific buyer and our buyer bought from san francisco and our fish would go into restaurants where it would be um cut for sashimi and for sushi like full fish cut right in front of you Mm -hmm. and then there's people sell to buyers that go for cans of tuna right so there's different different buyers for what that fish is going to be used for um so the way that they would know i think that like fisheries and oceans for example would know um would be if they would look at those plants that we would offload our fish to, because they would know that they have all the numbers and they have all the weights because that's where we get a piece of paper that shows us how we get paid. Because when we get paid, we don't get paid by hour or anything like that. We get paid after the fish are sold and then the buyer will pay us after. But it seems like with albacore tuna, the focus isn't necessarily on them. It seems like the focus has been a lot on the salmon industry on the West Coast. And for example, the fishermen have actually been fighting for a quota for sea lions because the sea lions are do uh, an insane amount of damage uh, to the, not only the salmon industry, but also the boats themselves. And then they have been not allowed to be hunted, so they're overpopulating the areas. Sometimes some guys can't even get one fish because their net has been completely eaten by sea lions, and there's hundreds and hundreds of them in their nets and they they're pulling thousands of dollars of gear and people are getting pulled off of their boat by sea lions and and the um, fishermen have actually now successfully made a quota for sea lions and you're only only if you are have a if you own a boat and your boat is fishing for salmon uh which you get quotas for um you would have be allowed to shoot three sea lions that year but you have to give them to dfo so you like so they're now make it so that there's a hunting season for sea lions now because it's doing having a huge impact on the salmon industry and the salmon industry is getting overfished so now their quotas have been shot down to like barely nothing so the sockeye salmon for example they give you one day to go in there and fish with a little little quota but for albacore tuna it seems like they're not it's definitely not the main focus salmon for sure on the west coast though for sure
0: so they're obviously seeing a Like, clearly the orcas and sharks and whoever else is um, hunting sea lions in the water um, are clearly not able to kind of keep up with the amount that are breeding and successfully living.
1: And and sea lions are, I thought dogs were smart, but holy smokes, there's actually one sea lion who lives in the Port Hardy Harbor. He's very well known because he jumped on a salmon charter boat who had two big outboards on the back jumped on it broke the outboards off the back and sunk the boat in the harbor because oh he's gosh. over 2000 <laughs> and he just he has one eye and he's still and there's signs everywhere when you go in that say do not interact with the sea lions like do not because he will he's grabbed children off of the docks like he's these animals are very <laughs> very smart and I remember Because when you come in to offload, your main job after that is you clean the boat. Like you have to clean everything, the freezer, the sides of the boat, everything. And one of my jobs was to get in the skiff and kind of like guide myself around the boat with a wire brush to scrape off like all the green, you know, ring that gets on from, you know, uh, parking in the harbors and stuff or mooring in the harbors. And so I'm scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing. And I look underneath me and I see this big black thing just kind of swim underneath me. And I'm like, um... I'm gonna get out now. I'm gonna get out
0: of the water. <laughs> I think I'm <laughs> gonna get shark. out of
1: here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't even care if it was a shark, but a sea lion. I'm like, nope. I'm I'm getting out of <laughs> I'm getting out of the boat. But yeah, you are not allowed to interact with him. He's like a a very well known and you know. But no one. But see where I'm from, and this is gonna sound a little bit, you know. But I I grew up on on a farm where if there was a problem animal, it was taken care of. And I'm not I when I see that this problem animal's been living in this harbor. And there's a very, there's a dynamic between people who want him to stay and then people who want him to leave. And it's very, it's interesting to hear the town talk about this sea lion because it's like, he's, he's just extremely well known. And, and I'm just not used to seeing a problem animal like that just continue to, to live his life and, and ruin boats. <laughs>
0: like, I'm right. just like, wow, he's massive. He looks like an elephant. Oh my gosh. I like, I can't even imagine seeing something like he would be the size of like maybe a big bull. Oh, yeah, for
1: sure. Oh, my God. For sure. And he, oh, yeah, it's you got it. There's actually a video of him that went uh, viral online. And I'm sure some people will look it up if they hear this, but just type in like sea lion that jumped on boat and it's probably the same one. So
0: I think like now that you say that, I do think I've probably seen that because he like crawls onto the back of like a boat and he's massive.
1: Yeah. And it's like a charter boat, like someone that would take you out to go fishing, say for salmon or something for the day, uh-huh. like
0: one of those boats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um I have a a couple questions, actually a few. Um and so there's sort of um like well <laughs> Let me let me rephrase this. I have a couple questions for you. And they're kind of like, focused more towards the like the ladies and sort of like, giving them some information. Now. Mm -hmm. So this, this was my assumption in the beginning, because I didn't really know your crew makeup at the time. But Mm -hmm. If And so when you were on the boat that had, when you were like the, I can't remember exactly what you called it, but I want to say deck boss, when you, you were the only female on that boat, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how did you go about like, as being the only woman in a male dominated industry and in like super close quarters with a bunch of guys, how did you keep yourself safe mentally and physically?
1: Oh, um, when I got on with that boat a few of those guys had already known me from an incident that happened about a month prior to that and um let's just say I had to uh defend myself Mm -hmm. physically at the docks um from some very intoxicated individuals when I was walking by from boat to boat and um I think that if it wasn't for that situation, they probably would have walked all over me. Um, Mm. But I I had to get mean, if that makes any sense. So you and I have spoke about that word before. And sometimes you have to get mean and you have to become intolerant of bullshit, if pardon my language, but you have to become intolerant. And uh, I already my there was no way that any of these guys were going to measure up to the captain that I had just spent a year with on you know offshore so it it was like you have to yeah because close quarters was one thing so one uh another thing that I would bring up here was just the fact that I was a a gal and you're close quarters yeah close quarters so you're using the same room you're all sleeping in the same room you're actually pretty much sleeping on top of each other because we're in what's called coffin beds where there's only one side open and they're just like stacked along the side of the wall and and, you know, but you're, you have to kind of get over it. If that makes any sense, you, you have to tell yourself, you know what, like, I am the toughest one on this boat. Mm-hmm. And if you don't tell yourself every hour, you kind of get, you know, cause the guys will be like, Oh, what do you know? What do you? And half these people ha- are, were like double my age. Half these people had been working on the ocean way longer than I have and had zero respect for me right off the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the thing that really sticks out is that you have to trust the people that you're with and that was one thing that I had um, that my crew could uh, rely on when it came to myself was trust was that if if something was wrong I was going to say something and I was going to fix it and I wouldn't hire people on the boat that were that weren't you know, so I had zero tolerance for alcohol, zero tolerance for drugs, um, because a lot of boats that was kind of a like you almost had to be a criminal re- criminal to get a job like, you know, so it was there's a lot of different boats that have a very different dynamic of working on where where be was in the fridge 24 seven, you know, so so there was, you have to be strict with who you have on the boat, mm-hmm. because that could well so. The people I had on my crew were very their main focus was was money and their main focus um, was getting home. So they put their heads down and they worked. And I, the only problems I had on the boat was um, a couple guys got in each other's faces and had like gotten and had a fight. And, uh, you know, it was we weren't catching any fish. And I, I looked at them both and I just yelled really loud. And I said, hey, I said, do you want to fight or do you want to make money? Which one? So You can go home. You can go home at the, like to, like at the end with fourteen thousand dollars, or you can go home with nothing because if you fight on my boat, you go home with nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to be, you got to be very stern, and you just have to have to suck it up. But it was very hard, and and you have to hide because you know got guys that are young like to peak, right? So you have to be stern with, hey, get out of my face, give me some space, and mm-hmm. that was it. Mm-hmm.
0: So do you feel yeah. like you had to sort of. I don't know if I want to word it like this, but I'm going to sort of like change who you were or the way that you acted to like fit in and create that like boss character on the boat.
1: Yep. Totally. I totally. And a lot of the times I had no clue what I was doing and I was pretending every step of the way, but they didn't know.
0: So, (laughs) but (laughs) but they didn't know you just like fake it till you make it.
1: Fake it till you make it. Yeah. And like, and I had, you know, guys step up on me and stuff like that. And it's just, you just got to, You know, you got to bring it back to what you're there to do, right? Like we're not, it's, we're not there to, 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 you know, bitch at each other or anything like that. We're not there to do that. We're there to make money and we're there to fish. So, you know, you just got to keep of that when you go out there.
0: And you're there for a long time together. So like, if we're going to, if we're going to start this bitching and fighting at the very beginning, it's going to be a real long hitch.
1: Oh yeah. And you know how many times I pulled that line where I said, it's a long swim back. (laughs) you know it's a long long swim back you know it's and and the seasick like you got to be also you got to be you got to care about people as well like you got sometimes you got captains out there that really don't care about you know your safety or anything like that right so you you if you show your crew that you care about them and if you you're looking at them and you can see that they're exhausted and they need to sleep a little bit longer you know then you say okay you Don't have to come in till this, you know. Don't start work until this time or whatever. But when you're out there, there's no hours and there's no shifts. When the fish are on, you work, and when the fish are don't. So, but you have to, you have to just work as yeah. You got to be family, and if you're not a family, then the first thing that happens is that person's off off the boat. Like, it's um, it's a pretty, you know, easy transition when they get to the so they get to the. You know, half the time I had guys that wouldn't that would text me in the morning and be like, oh, I got too drunk and I'm not coming in. And I'm like, well, guess what? <laughs> I guess you'll, you know, you're going to be puking your brains out because seasickness is real, right? So <sighs> I, you just got to be, you're a family and um, families get mad at each other. Families piss each other off. But mm-hmm. the thing is, is they get, though. So that's the main important thing.
0: Right. Do you, what's, I feel like there's going to be, like, I feel like I, there's probably a lot of things. But what, what do you think is like something that you learned while working there that you felt was super valuable for the rest of your life?
1: Um, the the easiest way to put it is that like, um, hmm, you know what, this is actually really hard to reiterate into words, but you just start to, you, you appreciate your, your life, you know, like you, um, you realize that you're, you're here to experience things Mm -hmm. And in your, no matter what you're doing in life, stuff's going to suck and it's going to be difficult and it's going to throw you sideways probably, you know, 30,000 times a month. Right. But no matter what you do though, you come out of it at the end of it being who you are and, and there's no right or wrong or, or, you know, left or right. It's you and live your life and one thing that i learned being out there that you know you, you are so so small compared to this world full of things to just be like looking at life and enjoying it right so you like I, one thing i took from from commercial fishing and working in a very difficult industry in general was just appreciating me as a person and that I have a life to live mm-hmm. and I'm I just need to be grateful for it that's mm-hmm. that's from that and the other thing I took from that is women can do flipping anything that's the other thing I took from that we can do anything right <laughs> anything
0: I feel like um from when I first met you, Barrett, to now, after you've been on the ocean and that job, commercial fishing, you are a very different person in a very good way. And, and it's very um, easy to see and like conversations with you are different now. And, you know, even just like I know we don't see each other a lot, but our but interactions are are very different in a very good way.
1: Well, I could say likewise, (laughs) one of the first things I was going to say Paul today was that like, you know, good job for all the accomplishments that you have done in the past. Like, wow, you know, world championships, like that's, that's cool. Team Canada, you know, like we have both have grown in so many ways and, and even Melissa and everyone there. And even this podcast that you're doing is awesome because women, you know, Yes, of course, I love to talk about the guys too, but women, we need each other sometimes to just say, Hey, you know, don't listen to, to what they're saying to you. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't listen. You, you can do it. And you're the only person that needs to tell yourself that you can do it too. Mm -hmm. Just like yourself. And just, you know, we, we got to say, we can do it because we're the ones that look at each other in the mirror every day. Right. So
0: I feel like sometimes as ladies, like in the outdoor industry, I think sometimes we need to just check on people and just be like you're doing a good job it doesn't need to be yep. anything more than that you know you're just you're doing a good job
1: yep and that you don't need to be doing anything you know <laughs> anything else and 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 like i like i said you cannot be an expert in any of those industries or the outdoors or hunting or fishing because you cannot be an expert at something that always changes you know mm-hmm. same animal yeah. it's never weather it's never the same day, It's you know, like it's, it's never the same. It's every time you go out, something different is going to happen to you and you're going to learn something new. And yeah. if someone tries to tell you everything, well, just laugh because that is a very funny story.
0: <laughs> you can only do the best with what you know, and then keep trying to learn. Exactly. for sure. Exactly. My, uh, my last question for you, Barrett is, and I feel like you've already given quite a few of these, but. Is there anything else that you would like to share or maybe some words of wisdom for women who like want to chase a job or a pattern or something that they feel is difficult or like in the men's world that they, you know, otherwise might not want to try?
1: Mm, yeah, it's pretty simple. It's two words. It's do it, you know, like <laughs> it, it. it. it's literally know that that comes with a lot of of you know issues and stuff and I mean like I am someone who I have a few dogs you know I have family here I have I have some things holding me back and stuff but that doesn't mean that you can't do those things it's just you know if you want to do something you do it you you have one life you want to go adventuring do it you you're gonna worry about you know like you, you you're gonna it's it's do it because you'll regret it if you don't so yeah, that that's the most sure. advice, and being a woman has nothing to do with it, because I can tell you from experience, we can do it sometimes better. So, and I'm not trying to be like, you know, we can do it better, but like we can sometimes better. So don't just be, don't even think, oh, I'm a woman and I can't do it. Yes, you can.
0: Yes, you can. That's all I can say. Those are wonderful words of wisdom. <laughs> well, a wise person once told me. <laughs> just kidding. Right. <laughs> so, Oh, for sure. Yeah. well Barrett thank you so much for spending almost an hour with me here and uh I, I can't wait for this episode to get out I'm I love it
1: <laughs> <laughs> well I'm I'm I haven't spoke to you in so long that I'm just happy we even got a chance to chat so maybe we'll uh, have to do some hunting or something
0: this fall so for sure I hope you're you know around and we'll we'll get it we'll get a chance to do something together we'll just gotta just gotta make some time we will we will